Hello, movie friends. Welcome to Letterboxd Recap from Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. This is the weekly episode where we go through our Letterboxd of the past week. We're also going to start reacting to your Letterboxd Top 4. So we have a bunch of entrants. We got over 70 uh, fans send in their Top 4 on Letterboxd. So, James, how about we kick it off with uh, some reactions? I think that's a terrific idea. And I watched, I think, five or six movies since we did our Letterboxd recap number four. So, I got some... Four? Four? <laughs> what was that? It was like a explana- explanation question mark sentence. One of those things, you know? I've watched way more than four. Yeah, well, you watch like 17 a day. Nobody, that's an exaggeration. Ain't nobody can keep up with you. You're no, like in a hyperbolic time chamber watching no, movies. You're like Goku. There's people, You're like Gohan training. There's people who watch ah! <laughs> watching movies all day and eating bowls of rice. Ah! There's people who watch a lot of movies, so I don't even come close to them. But here is our first entrant for a reaction. So this is Adrian, who's a fan of the show. Hey, Adrian. And their bio says, sit down and shut up. I like it. It's funny. <laughs> so Adrian's top four movies are There Will Be Blood. I like you already. Perfect. Paths of Glory. Excellent Kubrick movie. 12 Angry Men. And then Annihilation. What a stacked list. That's a great list. I like how he's got so many classics, but then a new one with Annihilation because I think that's a terrific movie that flies under the radar. Um, And then also Ex Machina from him as well is really good from Alex Garland. But Annihilation's great selection. And then 12 12 Angry Men, you could argue, is the greatest film of all time. And then Paths of Glory is a really fantastic war movie that Kubrick made. It's super cool. It's during set during World War One. Great, great list. Wow, what a, what a list! Great top four. What a list! Bravo. Next up, we have Jay Jay O'Brien, and I'm sorry, Adrian's profile is. Um, oh, you know that's his Instagram. I'm not sure if I should give that out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Jay is up next, and Jay's profile says this is the way. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Jay's top four favorites are Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Fuck yeah. (laughs) About Time, The Departed. The Departed Kid. And something that you have in your top four, Gladiator. Let's go. This is a banging list. I like the eclectic array of genres. About Time is a really wonderful romance movie, but then you got one of the greatest crime films of all time. And then Gladiator is just, you know, it's Gladiator. And then you have the perfect action movie in T2. So that's an excellent list. Excellent list. Are you a cop or are you trying to pretend to be a cop? I'm I'm the only one who knows you're a cop here, Bill. <laughs> that's a, such a stacked list. <laughs> I feel like I'm in a Quentin Tarantino movie. I'm just staring at Anthony's dirty feet, like playing with a, a coffee table. I'm chilling, bro. I'm chilling. I got my feet <laughs> up. Like, like right in my line of sight. Well, you don't have to look at them. I'm just me sitting here. I'm going to turn my just chair. Just close your eyes. I'm going to turn my chair. It's not like I have them in your face. I'm still they're, seven, they're pretty feet, close away. To I'm seven my face. feet away from you. No, that's four feet. My foot to your face is seven feet. There's no way that's seven feet. Are you kidding me? It's two arms lengths away. No, not even two. Look, it's your, your arms are little. No way. <laughs> little T-Rex arms over here. <laughs> Next up, we have we have Chris Weigaru. Uh I hope I said that right. Probably not. You <laughs> horrible person. 
And he's got some really interesting photo, uh, films on his top four. So Chris's top four favorites are Little Miss Sunshine, which I adore. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, classic. The Truman Show. And then Babylon. I like how this is so much different from the other lists we've already read off. A little bit of everything. I, I love Little Miss Sunshine. What's that line he says when he finds, like, he's talking to Paul Dano, Steve Carell, and he's like, you're not talking because of Frederick Nietzsche? He's like, is that Nietzsche? You're not speaking because of Frederick Nietzsche? <laughs> it's a really funny movie. It really it's, is. It, it like, um, there's a movie that really hit hard and started this, like, quirky... It was one of the early movies for, like, the 2000s indie quirky comedies. Yeah. And it was, like, the one of the big ones. And then for, like, eight years, we just got a ton of indie quirky comedies. Was that Steve Carell's, like, first, like, really good dramatic performance and role, too? I would say, um, yeah, for dramatic performances, yeah. Because he plays a, a guy who just survived after trying to kill himself. I mean, his last day on The Office, that's a pretty dramatic performance as well. I'm not going to yeah. lie. <laughs> but I think this might have come out before that finale. Oh, definitely. Yeah. This is like 07, I think. Um, that fair, I mean, obviously, Ferris Bueller's amazing, then Truman Show, and then Babylon. Great list, what a, Chris. What a list. Great list. All right, next up, we have Sebastian Vasquez. Sebastian, 24 from Mexico. That's his bio. He has No Country for Old Men. Fuck yeah. <laughs> the Strangers. Nice. Sicario. Nice. And then Everybody Wants Some. Wow. Which a, I haven't seen. What a list. Everybody Wants Some. Let me Google this movie. Everybody Wants Some. Wow, that's an awesome list. And I love Sicario so much. And that that's so cool. It seems like you just love, you know. Javier. <laughs> no, Javier. But also kind of stories that take place around the yeah. border of America and U.S. Yeah. Where I'm sure it's. Very relative if you're close to there in Mexico. And I mean, you have Javier and that, and then Benicio and Sicario, two incredible Spanish speaking actors who are just have made huge names for themselves in Hollywood. I love both those movies so much. So, everybody wants some. It's actually a modern. Do you film. want to die? <laughs> oh, I've heard of this movie. So, in 1980, a group of college baseball players navigate their way through the freedoms and responsibilities of unsupervised adulthood. I've heard of this movie, I've just never seen it. Looks like we're going to add it to the watch list. I mean, I love baseball. So it looks like a bunch of baseball college bros just trying to figure out life. Oh, it's a Linklater movie? What? I didn't know this. Okay, now I definitely got to check this out. It's a Linklater movie. Richard Linklater. Richard Linklater. Everybody wants some. Yep. All right, well, thank you for the submissions, everybody. I love it. We got one more. There's only four. I thought that was five. There's only four. I'm sorry. Hold your horses. Next up, we got Christian. (laughs) Like, literally hold horses? Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. So Christian has Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, The Dark Knight, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Wait, hold on, let me zoom in on that. It might be two towers. Return of the King, and then Jurassic Park to finish it out. Just four absolute bangers. I mean, I can't argue with any of these amazing lists. Nothing Fantastic. but bangers. Nothing Fantastic. but bangers. Thanks for sending it in, Christian. We really appreciate you all sending those in. I'm I'm looking at this. Glenn Powell's and everybody wants some. <laughs> That's funny. When did this come out? 2016. Wow. It looks like <laughs> one of them looks just like a young Josh Brolin. Oh yeah. Like if you look at the poster, I thought it was Josh Brolin from the Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jim, let's get into our movies. Clint Powell's that we've got a watched. mustache. That's great. So, we finished off last week with Asteroid City, was the last movie we talked about. So, that was on June 18th. Mm-hmm. Now, who wants did to we? Go? Did we? 
actually talk about this one? We finished with Asteroid, yeah. Because we, we, we saw it on June 18th, which means we definitely talked about it because we did Letterboxd Recap on the 19th. So we talked about the thing when we recorded it. Yeah, so the thing was the last one we talked about then. No, no, we talked about Asteroid City. Because we recorded the episode for Letterboxd Recap number four on June 19th, right? Yes. Okay, so we did not talk about The Thing. Yes. The Thing was which we watched for our episode that dropped the other day. We talked day. about The Thing. Did we? Yes, because yes. The Thing okay. was The Thing we watched on June 15th. That's right, man. <laughs> like, All right. That's we got to figure it out. That was two movies before Asteroid so, City. So, okay, everyone, I figured it out. We already <laughs> talked about The Thing. Starting after, after Asteroid City. On the 20th. Yes. What did you watch? My first film of the week was Long Day's Journey Into Night. This was absolutely astounding. It's a movie that you've been recommending to me for quite some time now because you're always like, it's got the the greatest actual long take or one of the longest long takes ever in cinema. It's 59 minutes, real long take, doesn't cut. And it's so special because just to stay on the take, they traverse different landscapes, an entire city. They are crossing the air on like a giant carriage kind of thing, like a carousel. It's so remarkable, and from a production standpoint, it must have been so complicated to plan out and coordinate because that sequence, it's 59 minutes, we're in a, we're in a mountain, in a tunnel, outside of it, we're <laughs> going on this giant carousel across to like this little town, we have a karaoke event going on, probably 50 characters, whether they're extras or the lead characters, are involved in this incredibly long ta- incredible long take, there's a horse, a bunch of oranges, they have to fall at a specific point, so... The sparkler... A, a sparkler, yeah, sparkler like a little for July sparkler. Someone's playing pool and they have to hit the shot. Yeah, it's someone great. has to nail a shot. Yeah, someone has to nail a shot. They have to hit that shot, and that's after the carousel. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, so the character, the, the carousel you're talking about, it's like this huge uh, line. It's like a ski lift line. Yeah, it's basically like a ski lift kind of thing where uh, it's it connects the mountain side to the town below. And the character gets on that. But that's after 10 minutes of yeah, a shot. Exactly. Harry started. And then all these like little intricate moments happen that are just like, holy shit. How on earth did they pull this off? Like someone has, someone has to drive a toy car with something on top of it that another character has to pick up. And like the toy car has to go through like halls and take turns. And every time I watch it, I'm like, don't mess up the driving. Don't mess <laughs> up the driving. Please make sure the toy car gets there. But man, what they do with the camera is so remarkable. Then they have a whole surreal floating sequence but also just in general the story's sensational it's a chinese film and it stars tang wai who was recently in decision to leave uh park chan wook's film in case you saw that she's the lead actress in it but it's basically a story about two lost lovers and this guy who's trying to remember this girl from his past this woman who who he had a relationship with who he hasn't seen in a long time but He's basically kind of he wants to see her one last time. He has one last opportunity, basically, to see her, and he's worried that he'll forget her face, or forget what she looks like, because she hasn't seen her in so long. So, basically, the concept of the film, from a them- thematic point, is: Does love, does true love, last inside your your mind and memory forever? Will you forget your past lover's face, basically, if you if you never see them again? And do soulmates exist? Does magic exist? You know, I think there are all these incredible fusions of themes and storytelling devices that they put in the film and it's it's awesome there's some great crime moments as well and it's funny it's dramatic but the filmmaking is sensational you gotta check it out it's so good yeah it's fantastic i'm glad you away blew me away blew your hair back like that's a real long take (laughs) can you think of one that's better than that in terms of the length and the production value no not just length but in terms of like what they accomplished yeah i I honestly can't i mean something like 
Children of Men, sure, comes to mind. They're different. Three minutes, though, man. No, I mean, that's a longer long take, isn't it? Isn't it like eight? The the battle. No, that's a bunch blended together. Okay, never mind. Yeah. Well, they have it's not a real long take. But, all right, this is probably the best one of all time. It's You insane. better say it's the best or bust. And best or bust, man. It's easy to know when it starts because the title credit doesn't come up until the long take's about to start like an hour and a half into the movie, which I love, too. That was great. I was like... Because then it just pops up and it's intense. But <laughs> that's great. Long day's journey into night. Put it on your watch list ASAP. The first movie I watched on the twentieth was Dragon Ball Super Superhero, the final film of like the Dragon Ball movie saga so far, I think. And I watched it with the boys on Discord. It was a lot of fun. Some great action. Um, it was a little bit of a weaker entry in the last four that I've seen. Super Broly is the best one. But it's still a lot of fun, and this one, Gohan, finally gets to shine, and he's kind of just been like an iffy character like the last 10 years, and basically just wears glasses and has like a normal job and is a nerd, um, and doesn't even fight, but now he got he got his uh, he got his mojo back in this one. So Did he finally? All right, I gotta check it out yeah. then, because that's the one thing I was always bummed about that happened to him. He's just like a, nothing wrong with doing good in school, but like, come on, he's fucking Gohan. <laughs> Beat Cell. <laughs> Like, after the Cell Saga, the next uh, parts of Gohan's story, I was like, what? Come on. Yeah, they're just like, yeah, let's forget about We're, him. He's not jacked anymore. Remember when he was, like, the strongest <laughs> ever? Yeah. Let's... Ah! The fucking lightning. I miss it. All right. <laughs> My next watch was a Japanese film. That was all over all Asia. All over cinema. Asia. And now, this is a movie that's been on my watch list for a while. It's called Battle Royale. It came out in 2000. And this is basically the Hunger Games in a sense, except a lot more condensed in terms of not world building as, as large as and not, Hunger Games. not filled with crazy technology. Yeah, yeah, so Hunger Games, obviously, you've all seen where there's this entire world society where different districts, massive themes of economic hierarchy and wealth disparity, and then every year they have one person from each district come, a child, enter into an arena, fight to the death, the winner becomes the winner of the Hunger Games every year. We've all seen it. Now, this is... Different, but also same, same. the original idea. Yeah, so Thai, same, same, but different. The great Thai expression. <laughs> so it's about a dystopian sort of Japan where crime is through the roof, job uh, uh, job failures are through the roof, and basically the economy is through, I mean, terrible, and joblessness. So as a result of just political turmoil in this country, the young children and young adults and teens are basically just acting out like crazy. It's kind of like the purge in a sense in terms of like they're just committing crimes. They're horrific. They're turning against the adults in society and they're ruining Japan children even more. Children of the corn. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> but they still go to school and stuff yeah. like that, but they'll like stab their teacher in the hallway. <laughs> it's got a very Tarantino tone and this is a huge influence for Kill yeah. Bill. So, And what they do in, in, the, in Japan created this law. It's called the BR Act. The Battle Royale Act, where by random they select one school in a class from that school every year, gets put on an island, and they all have to fight to the death until one person survives. And it's very similar to The Hunger Games. I believe she had never heard of it before, never seen this. <laughs> but I mean, some of the elements are so shockingly similar. I don't know about that. In terms of like whenever someone, whenever they do a voice a call of on a microphone of everyone who's been killed, as well as you get specific supplies, stuff like that. I don't. I mean, it's sure. Ridiculous. It's, I, I think can, to I think to say that is just a PR thing to be maybe, like, oh, it's my. I, 
It's too similar. They're very similar, but also incredibly different. Yeah. She did create a whole world out of the concept of it, but this is just too on the nose of it was in 2000. Like, maybe it's one of those things where, like, you know, stand-up comedians, they don't even realize they saw a joke they that they are kind of using in their own routine yeah. eight years ago at a club while they're, you know, having some margaritas or something. But uh, <laughs> but it's, it's absolutely insane and sensational. It's sweet, beautiful carnage. I fucking loved it. It is... Gory as hell. It's hysterical. And the filmmaking's awesome. And it was a huge influence on Tarantino's Kill Bill because he uses the, the girl who plays Gogo in Kill Bill. She's in this. She's kind of a very similar character in a lot of ways. But I had a great time watching this. It's so fun. It's dark and violent. Nice. Nice. What did you give for a rating? Oh, I gave it a four and a half. Nice, dude. Nice, dude. I forgot to give my, my rating for Long Day's Journey Into Night. I gave a four and a half for Long Day's Journey in tonight. And to really quickly re- read my review, I forgot to do that as well. Can true love survive your, in your memory forever? Does magic exist? Bygone's neo-noir nonlinear journey follows a man diving to the memories of his past in search for his last chance to see the woman that he still loves. But can he remember his face? The film features a jaw-dropping 59-minute real long take that will floor you. Floor you. And then Battle Royale wrote Sweet Beautiful Carnage. That's it. That's all you need to know. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. Sweet, man. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> All right, my next movie that I watched was Infinity Pool from Brandon Cronenberg, who it's a, it's a film that I've been um, mo- meaning to see. It came out last year, and I finally got around to seeing it. Me too. It. I can't wait to hear this review. So my review, I gave it three and a half stars. This film had some fantastic ideas, intriguing situations, and some fun moments of horror. However, the story ended up losing its footing in the second half and lacked the depth which the filmmaker's father always instills in his films. So uh, Brandon Cronenberg is the son of David Cronenberg, one of my favorite American directors. Um, and he's the Infinity Pool was cool. It had some really cool ideas. It's about a a, a couple. Alexander Skarsgård plays the lead, and they're on vacation at at um, uh, what do you call it? Like a where'd you go? Retreat? Re- no, like a resort. resort. Resort in a different country. Um, and on a joy ride, he accidentally, while drunk driving, hits and kills a local. And then the way this country is set up, they didn't even, it's cool, they didn't explain what the country was. It was just kind of like a, a fictional country in a way. Um, so he was he's sentenced to death um, by execution in the way this country handles it is like the victims of the person you killed kill you. So like uh, they have it set up where the, the father, the son of the man he killed is going to like kill him, <laughs> which is a really fun idea. And they also have this thing for people who have wealth you can purchase a perfect replica of yourself, like a clone of yourself, that will um, die in the execution instead of yourself. And this is all in the trailer. Yeah, it's all in the trailer. Um, this You're basically se- this it, basically yeah. sets up the movie, and so he does that, and then he he watches like the clone get killed by the the boy, the son of the man he, he killed, and um, it puts him into this crazy community of people who have already done that, and they are just like wild, insane. Um, bloodthirsty people and elites so it's like a very much it's a tale about classism and and elitism uh, it's really good until it's not and then literally the second half of the film it just was like it had a great opening and it was getting there to being something really cool but then it just like fell flat and the the story and the direction Cronenberg took was like really disappointing and just very um, underwhelming, um, based upon what he established in the first act of the film, 
and it just got to be kind of boring and a little repetitive um, and not that interesting at all eventually. Um, so it was cool. Um, There's some really cool stuff, but also like it was just kind of pretty much it was pretty underwhelming by the time the movie was over. I was like, finally, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it was cool. Uh, apparently, Robert Pattinson was um, supposed to play the role Alexander Skarsgård played because he, he worked with Brandon's father a few times. Cosmopolis. Yeah. Um, and uh, Journey to the Stars. I mean, yeah, Maps to the Stars. Um, but yeah, it was just, you know, it was Cronenberg. David Cronenberg is a very special director. And even when his movies aren't like quite that great, they still have a l- really interesting messages and themes. And um, they, this was just like, he's not his dad. You know what I mean? You can't be, I mean, Cronenberg is a once in a generation kind of horror director. Yeah, but I mean, I'm sure he's got some talent. Yeah, oh, he definitely does. Talent and he's got some. He's got some stuff going. But like, he just needs. Yeah, I think it was just maybe it could have been too easy to get this movie made. Is it his first movie? Second, second movie. movie. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I won't check it out now. Well, I still, I'm still curious. It's cool. It's cool. I'm curious. It's worth checking out if you're like, ah, I have nothing to watch. I'll, I'll put it on if anything. All right, maybe I will sometime. Because that's always, that's been on my watch list for a while. It's got some cool ideas. Now but. I'm kind of glad I didn't see it in theaters. Then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same. All right. Next up, we both watched. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem at Paramount. We got invited there. It was so cool to check out the film at their theater on their lot in Hollywood. Or not Glendale, basically Burbank. Yeah, it was <laughs> Burbank. <laughs> on Melrose, though. No, it's, it's near there. It's on Melrose. Okay, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we can't really talk about it until the embargo lifts on July 24th, but we can tell you that we laughed a lot. And had a pretty good time. And also, we are interviewing the cast. So yesterday, we interviewed the director, Jeff Rowe. We also interviewed all the turtles, all the all the, the boys who play the turtles, as well as Io Debris, who plays April O'Neil. Today, we are interviewing the legend himself, Ice Cube, who plays the big bad, the heavy in this movie, Superfly. And we can't wait to chat with Ice Cube in a couple hours. I'm very excited about that. But... That all will be released on July 4th, all those interviews and our review and our reactions to the film. But I can tell you that they definitely infused plenty of youth and co- contemporary culture into this movie. So I It think, was a new version. Yeah. Of, yeah, they did a good job of making it different. Yeah. Love the animation as well. So I think everyone's going to be really satisfied with this film, especially if you're, you're a younger film lover, you love animation. It's right up your alley. Oh, yeah. So what is the next film that you watched that we can talk about? The Talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, yeah. So we saw this at Tarantino's Cinema, the new Beverly Cinema in Hollywood. Obviously, we we go almost every week now. And you all know how much we love The Talented Mr. Ripley. It's one of our all-time favorites. And they also have some great poster options. Mine I did with the uh, the head bust that's covered in blood. It's, I like the uh, upside down. I like the blue poster with um, the jazzy the one. The jazzy one because it suits the editing that they did in the movie. Yeah, and obviously I gave this five stars because I adore this movie. Now let me read my review. Tom Ripley is the most fascinating character of the 20th century, and I adore this adaptation of Patricia Highsmith's novel by the late Anthony Mangella with the passion of all the lovers in Rome combined. Mangella crafted what I think is one of the greatest film productions of the last 50 years, utilizing the gorgeous cities and towns of Italia, as well as the supreme talents of some of the biggest rising stars of the time, including Damon, Law, Paltrow, and Hoffman, and Blanchett. This film is as sexy and thrilling as it is grotesque and sinister. They simply do not make movies like this anymore. Jude Law is a golden god. (laughs) (laughs) I also gave it five stars. I wrote, stylish, sensual, and bloody. 
an underrated masterpiece of filmmaking and acting set in one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Now, this film is pretty misunderstood. It only has a 3.8 on Letterboxd. That makes me want to throw my phone off the wall. It only has a, on IMDb like a 7.2. Let me double check. It might be a 7.4. Is it really that low? Yeah, it's a very misunderstood movie. I don't, I don't really don't understand why. 7.4. Yeah. When it came out, it was uh, critically adored. It got a bunch of Oscar nominations. Um, I think that it's, it's, it is a long movie, and it might be challenging for viewers. Um, like I just saw a, a, real quick on Letterboxd, someone who has a big following said that they might watch it again in the future, but they're more likely to fall asleep. Um, I think that's a movie that gets better the more you rewatch it. Uh, it re- it's very rewarding as a rewatched movie. I've seen it well over ten times. I, I'm clo- I'm probably closing in on twenty times. I've seen this movie, and it really does just uh, keep getting better. And um, it's just very very rewatchable. It's a it's a remarkable film. It's a movie that really does feel like you're watching a novel on screen, um, and it's just incredible performances, incredible filmmaking, um, cinematography, and editing is fantastic, and the score is great. I really adore the movie. Yeah, it's special. <clears throat> Mangella was a terrific filmmaker, and this is one of my favorite books. And Patricia Highsmith's a terrific author. Was a terrific author. She's had several books turned into movies. They've made, I think, like seven Ripley movies, but really, this is the only one for me that really hits. And they've obviously adapted the other ones to t- turn them into contemporary settings, which didn't always work out. The one they did with Barry Pepper it was just trash. Of of uh, Ripley's game, you trash. It, it kills for money. <laughs> <laughs> they just could change that completely compared to the book, because the book is excellent. Was it, that an adaptation of this one? No, it was an adaptation of Ripley's game, mm. but it's it's totally different. Now it's the second book in the series, but this one I think captures the book and the character so well because it's it's maybe my favorite character piece. I know there will be blood's pretty much your favorite character piece, right? It's one of them. And Taxi Driver. And Taxi Driver. This is probably my favorite character, Peach. I'm just really obsessed with Tom Ripley and the character, and I think Damon was so perfect in this role. And this movie, it's kind of like two movies. I don't want to spoil it in case anyone's never seen it, but up until the big event about halfway through, it kind of turns into a different movie, and the character changes so much. But something about Ripley and something about movies set in Italy for me just really clicks and it's a gorgeous film and you don't see productions like this on the scale that Mangella shot it with you know having the opportunity in the late 90s before I guess the massive enormous tourist boom of the 2000s and 2010s you were able to film a little more effectively in Italy I mean you can't especially really... the Spanish steps I know and then in Venice Spanish yeah. steps there's like seven scenes there they, I'm he, sure he, they filmed it all in two days but still like it would be swarmed yeah you can't go to I mean it, they probably also filmed it at a, a less popular time of year but also like now when you go to Italy it's a fucking mob yeah. like you can't even fucking walk around half the time especially in the summer months so, I mean, we won't really see many films made like this very much. I'm very excited for Mission Impossible 7 because it takes place in Italy as well. They're, they're in Venice as well, so I can't wait to see that. Some action in Venice, oh, not yeah. CGI like Fast X. Yeah, so I'm, I'm very excited for Mission Impossible for many reasons, but shooting in Italy specifically is one of them. I think Fast X is the only movie to make Italy look terrible because it, they did. But this movie for me is, a, is magic. It's a fairy tale. It's a nightmare, and I fucking love it. Hell yeah. Some of my favorite shots Ever are in this movie. Yeah, ever. The, the final shot's my, one of my favorite all-time shots. Of all, like, all-time favorite shots. The last 
10 seconds of this movie. Yeah, it's, it's really sensational. And then the, the piano closing is one of my all-time favorite shots. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. And also, Mangella did something really terrific where he infused the jazz into this movie because it's not in the book, but that really made it modern. The ring shot. Yeah. The close-up of the ring and then the close-up to the espresso. His, no, yeah, the close-up of the ring while he's making espresso, and then he cuts to super tight close-up of Tom's of Tom Ripley's yeah. eyes. I, I saw that the edit happened in the theater. That ring is fabulous. I was like, oh. <laughs> I was in cloud nine when I saw that I had that a bargain edit. for it for two weeks in Naples. Oh, I hope it wasn't cheap. It was. Oh. <laughs> Are they British now? <laughs> Your high society American is pretty British. <laughs> oh, they're pretty close. Jude Law is so fucking good in that movie. Yeah, he's great. He's so good. I think he got nominated. Not yep. for nomination for it, right? He did, yeah. All right, next up. I watched an Italian film that came out in 2022 called The Eight Mountains. This is an incredible film about two two young men um, who befriend each other on a mountain. When one boy lives on the mountain with his dad working on the land, and then one boy, his parents own a summer home there. What's the time period? It's um 1960s. So it's not too far ago, 1960s and 70s. It's a, it's an epic over like two decades, or three decades actually. Um, it's about the friendship that two boys form and forge, but then um, how their lives end up separating them until they eventually start reuniting again. And what they what brings them together is this land. And one becomes a person. One one the boy who grew up there. He he is like a mountaineer and he lives for the land. And the other boy. Um, as he becomes an adult, he's trying to find his place in the rest of the world, and he never really feels like he belongs there. Um, but it's really incredible. I wrote <clears throat> a sprawling epic about friendship and life set against a stunning backdrop of some of Europe's most awe-inspiring landscapes. This is set mostly in the uh, Swiss Alps um, and the Dolomites. And so this film is a remarkable tale which explores brotherhood, the brotherhood between two very different men and the connection they share, which keeps bringing them together as the years pass by. We also see a wonderful story about finding oneself and figuring out your place in the world, especially when times are difficult and confusing. I love films that portray the connection to nature, which humans are capable of, and how beautiful and pure it can be. And this is also made by the pair of directors who made Beautiful Boy, starring Chalamet and Steve Carell. Um, they're Belgium, and this is a Belgium-Italian production, co-production. It, it, but it's really incredible. It's a very powerful film. I highly recommend checking it out. Sounds terrific. Yeah. I'll add it to my watch list for uh, eventually getting to it this year. Eventually. Eventually. All right, what'd you watch next, man? My final film of the week. Since Indiana Jones is coming out in the, t- in the Dial of Destiny, we're seeing it on Wednesday night, tomorrow. So you watched Witness. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I decided to watch a James, James Mangold film. And I watched probably my favorite Mangold film, Ford vs. Ferrari. Oh, nice. This movie came out in 2019. I think it's just one of those rare movies. It's like a perfect racing movie that's tough to do. There are a lot of really good racing movies, but this movie is just stellar. The production, the production's phenomenal. I gave it five stars. I, I think it flies under the radar this year, this century for sure. Uh, my review, Ford vs. Ferrari. Ford v. Ferrari is a rare, perfect racing movie. The practical filmmaking is, is exceptional. Bale and Damon are magic together, and the true story is sensational. They seldom make movies like this anymore. And Plus, that trailer had the Greta Van Fleet song. Yeah, man. That, they blew them up. <laughs> then everyone else was like, oh, we need to use that in our trailer now. Dude, it was used like five times. You're right. <laughs> it was like when Kanye's song got used for 100 movie trailers. 
Um, but this movie, I think it's really special. Uh, hey, hey, hey. Uh, <laughs> that one. Uh, no one, no one man should have all that power. Every yeah. fucking movie yeah. trailer. <laughs> like it was like SpongeBob the movie. No one man should have all that <laughs> no power. No one Sponge should have all that power. <laughs> but Ford vs. Ferrari, it's so fucking good. The, the story is sensational and, you know, almost stranger than fiction, but also just being like learning this important part of American history as well as Italian history of. The starting up of Ford, basically, or the next generation of Ford manufacturing, the factory film, uh, factory car manufacturing, as well as what happened to to Ferrari in Italy, and basically the kind of scam they pulled on Ford of trying to tell them that they wanted to sell to Ford, but really just trying to work a better deal with Fiat because Fiat then bought Ferrari back then, but it's also but since been bought by a German company, I believe. Although. It, Ferraris are still manufactured in Italy. They always will be. Made by hand Made by still. hand. By old Italian dudes just tinkering. Greasy Italian dudes. <laughs> <Just eating> <laughs> drinking wine and building engines. They are still made in Italy, even though they are owned by a German company now. Yeah. But especially, I think, the uh, the race department still is just Ferrari-owned. Yeah. I, I found that part of the story really fascinating. Me too. And it's just incredible. I mean, this is all pretty much done in camera, and some of the work of of gaffing and strapping these cameras to the cars, getting these insane close-ups and insane footage I'd never really seen done before in a racing film such high speeds. Phenomenal stuff. Christian Bale, fucking A, man. This guy's he's one of the best ever. If not, he could be the best ever by the time his career is over. Absolute chameleon. He's like his most unrecognizable in this movie, even though he's at like almost a normal weight. <laughs> he just does so much with his mannerisms, with his face, with his posture, his physical acting, let alone his, his voice to just transform into different people and another character he's playing as a real human. But fuck. He, he does like an underbite in with his jaw, this you know what I mean? Yeah, and he's got this 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 the posture he does the whole time. It's just so unique. He fucking looks like the guy. Yeah, he does. But man, it's it's such What's a What's the name? Ken Long was his name or some uh, what was it? A forgotten name in, in race history that I think this movie did a really special job just remembering him because yeah. of what happened to him. Basically, you know, he would have won he would have been the most successful racer that year. He would have won the, the race. triple crown. Yeah. He would have run, won the triple crown, but yeah. then Ford made him finish at the same time, which ended up making him lose the race. Yeah. So it's all, it's a tragedy at the same time. Also, it also shows how PR and marketing can really like suck the the soul out of a company. Yeah, absolutely. I think they show that with this corporation with Ford, but mm. also. So it's Ken Miles, and then Ken Miles. Damon is uh, Shelby. Yeah, he's awesome. He's just. Then two together, it's so good. This movie's really funny as well. Makes me cry. Yeah, when he drives away. I know it's a tragic ending. <laughs> Great pick. So sad. Great movie. Thanks. You gave it five stars. Five stars. Nice. Dude. Fucking love it. Nice. I also watched a movie in anticipation of a movie that we're going to be seeing very soon in theaters. There's been so much press about Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One, and so I was like, "Fuck it, <laughs> let's watch a Mission Impossible movie." And I had watched the first film um, last month. And I was like, fucking, it still slaps, man. And then I decided to watch Mission Impossible Fallout because I love it. <laughs> it's my favorite one. Um, so you watched both? No, no, no. I just watched Fallout because I had watched number okay. one last month. Gotcha. And so I just gave it five stars, no surprise, because I think it's uh, one of, an all-time action movie. And then I wrote, MI7 has some big shoes to fill. It really does. It. I mean, this movie, it's really perfect. It it is really well paced and balanced and um, so well directed by McQuarrie, who loves using film, who loves using old school filmmaking techniques. I think that's why he and Tom get along so well, because they're both about, you know, 
classical kind of filmmaking, traditional kinds of production, um, shooting things for real. And I think they really bonded over that with Jack Reacher. And then obviously Tom has hired him for so many movies since, but also McCoy is an excellent writer as well. Like he fixed Edge of Tomorrow. He he made Top Gun Maverick what it was. And so McCory is a wonderful writer and director. But the cast is amazing. Cavill was such a fantastic villain in this film. And it was just amazing how they... It's the sixth film, but they still add surprises. They still keep it interesting. Um, And in, in a lot of ways, they improve upon everything that they had done before. And I really adore the film. I love Lauren Balfe's score, and I can't wait for to hear Lauren Balfe's music for the upcoming film because this was the first one he scored for Mission Impossible. Um, but in terms of the action, it really is fantastic. And then we got you know our first like real brutal fist hand hand on hand combat in one of these films in the bathroom fight. Which holy shit, that fight still is fucking incredible. Like there were a couple of times where I was like, oh shit! Like, I love that fight because they lose. Yeah, they, they lose. Get, that they fight. get their ass kicked by that dude. They get their ass kicked, and also Vanessa Kirby is a newcomer. Very, very welcome, and I'm very look- welcome. Yeah. <laughs> She's very welcome. Looking forward to seeing her in the next film. <laughs> um, but I mean, Tom's Tom. You know, he just makes great movies, and he's a really incredible entertainer, and, com- and so committed to his to his his job. And I just love seeing it on screen, and it's just um, always raising the stakes and doing new things as opposed to franchises that just do the same thing over and over again. And it's just a really, uh, in terms of an action film, it's perfect. And it really is, if, you, if you're going to put a, make a top 10 list of action movies of all time, this has got to be on your list. Yeah, I was obsessed with this movie when it came out. I watched it like five times in six months mm. after seeing it in theaters. I just love it so much. And yeah, Mission Impossible, it's all about the stunts. People are like, oh, it's just crazy stunts. Who cares? And it's an excellent story as well. McQuarrie yeah, and Tom are good. both great storytellers. Tom has a ton of input on the story of every movie he does pretty much. And he knows what the fuck he's doing. Christopher McQuarrie knows what he's doing. And I can't wait to see the new one. It's I'm so excited for it. We got the early yeah. invite for July like and, 10th. And also one of my favorite parts about the film is in the, in the uh, first act, after the deal gone wrong, we get a really great calling card to the original film where the original film opens with the, the illusion, you know? Yeah. Um, in the hotel room. That's the first scene. Of tricking that man, um, thinking that the the woman he the sex worker is dead, and like tricking him to reveal the information, and we get spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't seen it. I mean, whatever. Spoiler it's in the first. It's in the opening of the movie. It's an old movie. But this film has a very similar opening where they fool a criminal and with this great illusion that they set up. So I loved how they got back to the original with that set piece. It's fucking awesome. It's sick. It's really great. I, lo- I love fire. it so much. Fire. And then. You have no more movies? No more movies. I got another one. Of course you do. You probably watched one this morning. No, it was last night, man. <laughs> it was just it was just um after teenage after TMNT, I watched that other another movie that night. And so and then three in a row. So, you know. I like movies, bro. Hey man, I know. I'm just fucking with you. Well, I like movies too. Do you? Do you even watch movies, bro? <laughs> so I watched per Marta McFly's recommendation, The Green Ray, which is a wonderful French film about this woman who is trying to figure out what to do on her four-week vacation from work. And she's realizing that, you know, she really doesn't have anyone in her life to share things with um, outside of some friends, but like in terms of a relationship, of a partner, 
Um, her last relationship ended two years ago. She's still not over it. And so she's struggling with intense loneliness and depression while she's going on these various vacations and spending time with people. And she she, she goes on a vacation and then leaves because she's so sad, goes on a vacation leaves because she's so sad. Um, but it's really charming and really well-written. Um, it's a film that inspired Richard Linklater when he made the Before franchise. Uh, it came out in 1986. I gave it four and a half stars. And I wrote, I could watch 10 hours of this slice of life, masterwork and writing and acting. This film captures real authentic life in a way that very few films have ever been able to do. It portrays the nuances of loneliness with incredible depth and subtlety. Highly recommend for any fans of Linklater. So this movie doesn't really have a plot, but it's mere, it's more like a series of situations, a series of conversations, just like a before film from Linklater. Um, kind of like it's, it's like the early days of like mumblecore of, you know, there's no plot, but it's more about people and relationships and um, socializing with people. Um, but it's really fantastic. It's so well acted. And the writing is so incredible that it makes you feel like you're watching real people on screen just talking, which is really great. And I loved it. It's, it's a really fantastic movie. Four and a half stars. Remarkable. Highly recommend. Sounds great. Directed by Eric Romer, the French filmmaker. Oh, nice. Nice. That was the, the last movie on my list. Hell yeah. Wow. I think we had a, a nice little catalog of movies we were around. Yeah, what, what an eventful to. week. Yeah, so much to do. <laughs> um. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Letterboxd number five recap. Number now, five. for episodes this week, we did the thing yesterday on Monday. Finally covered one of our favorite horror movies of all time. One of our favorite movies in general of all time. It's a legendary film. So don't miss that episode. That was a good episode. Yeah, it was a blast. We did like an hour and a half breakdown. And then get ready for Thursday, everybody. Once upon a time in Hollywood, two and a half hour breakdown, deep analysis, deep dive. We went in super deep. Get in there deep. Oh, yeah. With Get the, in there nice and deep like. Cliff Booth and Rick Dalton, two of our favorite characters in Tarantino's universe. Just such a fucking fun movie. It's sensational. Amazing. I can't wait for everyone to listen to our episode. It was so goddamn fun to finally cover this film. It gets better every time I watch it. Um, I watched the first hour of it the other night again just because <laughs> I, I was just like, fuck it. <laughs> I had some stuff I had to do. I put it on the background. It's just perfect. I love that movie. So that was a lot of fun. So, also, weekly chat tomorrow on Patreon only. If you want to become a patron and get access to the weekly chat, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Every patron, no matter what tier you're in, has access to our weekly chat every Wednesday as well as another weekly bonus episode. So, thanks so much for everyone tuning in to Letterboxd Recap number five. Hope you're, listen- hope you're watching some bangers as well this week. Let us know. And we'll do some more reactions next week and next episode in Tuesday's episode. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. See you next time. Raiders of the Lost podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.